Hey guys, Mark here. So as you probably know by this point, the Blue Jays are calling up Gabriel Marino for the upcoming series against the Detroit Tigers. It's just our luck that this news comes only a couple hours after we recorded our series recap from Kansas City. We're still going to let this episode fly. We got a lot of interesting thoughts in it and I hope you enjoy it. But we will be back after the series against Detroit with all our thoughts about Gabriel Marino and of course how the Blue Jays played. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 207 of section 138, another series win for the Toronto Blue Jays. They take two of three from the Kansas City Royals and the good times keep rolling for now at least. I'm your host Mark Colley as always joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing good Mark. A nice series win. Of course series wins on the road are always great. I guess a little you know, disappointed they couldn't complete the sweep, but at the end of the day, you still get that series win, and the road trip continues through Detroit this weekend. Yeah, that's the thing. If we were looking at this series like three weeks ago, we would be depressed about the Blue Jays losing one of three to the Kansas City Royals. Of course, the Royals have a record that's among one of the worst in baseball, and a couple weeks ago when they played the Cincinnati Reds, They won two of three, and we were talking about how horrible that third game was, how frustrated we were with the Blue Jays' offense. And this series, after the Blue Jays take a couple series wins, obviously they lose one to the Twins, but our attitude is entirely different, and we're looking at that series in an entirely different lens. But Jacob, how are you? I would be a little happier if that third game was not the one that they lost, and and lost in honestly kind of a bad way. I'm sure we'll get into this, but the pitching depth, it's being tested right now. Not being tested or it's in the way that we want it to. I think it's fair to say that it's barely receiving a passing grade on that back end of the rotation. But overall, like the Blue Jays are winning two of three consistently, winning series consistently. That is a good thing, but I think there is reason to be a little bit concerned. The offense is back. I'm finally the one to say that it's back, but it's kind of coming at a bad time because we're starting to see a little bit of collapsing in, on the pitching staff. See, I'll disagree with you there. I personally don't take too much issue with the pitching performance in this series, especially the pitching performance today. Because first, you look at the first two games of the series, the Blue Jays shut out the Kansas City Royals back-to-back games. It's the first time they've had back-to-back shutouts this season. They have a phenomenal outing in the first game. They have a two-hit shutout. And then obviously the second game, Alec Manoa on the mound, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I take your point about Yusei Kikuchi. Obviously, that start was not ideal, but to me, he's the Blue Jays' fourth starter. And if you are going out there and losing every game Yusei Kikuchi pitches and losing every game that the fifth starter, whether it's Ryu or Stripling, pitches, you're going to be okay because you are winning most of the games that Jose Brios, that Kevin Gosman, that Alec Manoa are starting. So to me, Yusei Kikuchi going out there struggling as he did today isn't the end of the world for the Blue Jays. Obviously, in an ideal world, you're going to want him to pitch better, and he has pitched better in previous starts. He had a really good stretch of starts in the month of May, and this is now his second back-to-back poor start. 
But to me, that's okay. It's not the end of the world. You're going to lose series eventually. I'm not too concerned about you, Kikuchi. I don't know about you guys, but to me, the pitching was fine, if not exceptional, this series. What I mean when I say it's kind of collapsing is it the depth is definitely, definitely being tested. Obviously, Hyunjin Ryu, the news is not good. I think it's fair to say that he's not really a consideration for most of, if not the rest of the season, which then means you're going to have, well, we've seen Ross Stripling go in the rotation. I picked him up in fantasy, so I don't want to hear anybody uh, talking trash about him, at least not not to me, but he's going to take in a spot in the rotation that opens up a door in the bullpen. Is that Nate Pearson? Is it Thomas Hatch who's been doing well? You know, it's there's questions that do need to be answered, and unfortunately, I don't know. Like it's the bullpen's done well at parts of the season, or really for most of the season. The you know we've seen Adam Simber do well, Jordan Romano's do, done well, uh, Yumi Garcia. Like they've done well, the core guys that you need, but those long men haven't really been there. Partially, the Blue Jays haven't really needed them, but I think now the fact that you do kind of need them you're now missing that long man out of your bullpen Ross Stripling's not there even if you add Nate Pearson to it that's still like that's an option but you know what I'm trying to get at here is like the the bullpen is eventually going to run out of breathing room and that's going to kind of carry over to the starting pitching because you like those two yes the starters do open the game but those two areas do work hand in hand and I think the last thing you want to see is say that the Blue Jays have this great depth of you know four or five great starters and then Kikuchi kind of be a coin flip. And then Hyunjin Ryu is kind of done for the season or most of the season. We'll know in the next couple of days probably when uh, most people are listening to this. But it's it, the depth is, is being t- tested, I think, a little bit more than the Blue Jays anticipated. Yes, there are room guys to take up that room in the minors and the bullpen that you know can slide in like Ross Stripling. But I think the last thing that I want to see is a pitching staff look so good and then all of a sudden you're missing a few guys in the rotation, so the bullpen takes over, and then other guys are taking over that workload. Because, like, look at what we saw today. Obviously, Ross Stripling's not in the bullpen anymore. He would have been a perfect candidate to play when your starter gets rocked after, or not rocked, but he gets out after only two-thirds of an inning. And then you see Trent Thornton throw two two and a third, Trevor Richards throw one and a third, you know, then there's the typical uh, Adam Simber, uh, Yimmy Garcia, but... Well, actually, Yumi Garcia wasn't even supposed to pitch today because of he only came in because of an injury. But point is, is these are the type of situations that the Blue Jays are ideally and obviously not going to see a lot. But when things like this are happening, it's a little bit concerning just because the last thing you want to see is go from a good rotation and a good bullpen to not a full, not even a full rotation. And then your bullpen's taking over and then those guys who are in the bullpen have to kind of scramble it. Yes, there, like I said, there are room. There are guys that can take that room. I'm just... The last thing I want to see is this kind of turn into the the falling point of the season. And we saw what happened last year when the bullpen just kind of uh, collapsed. And obviously very, very different scenarios. But just a little thing that I'm going to keep tabs on, I think, throughout the last couple series or, or next few series, as we've said with the offense. Keep tabs on it. See how it's doing. That's doing better. The core three in the rotation, Barrios, Gosman, and Manoa, obviously they're doing well. Two of them are, you know, within the, what, the top five of Cy Young voting, or at least the Cy Young watch. So that's not really a concern, but I would like to keep tr- track of how this bullpen is managed and really how the pitching staff is managed going into these next couple weeks. Yeah, uh, a massive shout out to the schedule tomorrow for it being an off day after today. Like this was, if there was a game tomorrow, it would have been 
there would have been concern for sure. There would have likely had to have been a move. Uh, it, not ideal that Yusei Kikuchi goes two-thirds of an inning and you got to hand things off right away. Jacob, you were going over it. Despite Trent Thornton pitching well in those two and a third innings, uh, you burn through your bullpen on that last day. And of course, it's just frustrating. But prior to this game, I mean, no matter how bad the Royals are, you know, it's still a successful series in terms of pitching. I mean, you shut them out two days in a row. You can't take any, like, that's tough to do no matter who you're playing. And that comes with starting pitching, that comes with the bullpen. And then, of course, today it just flat out, I know the game kind of started off and, you know, the bullpen was working, I guess, a lot pretty much for the entire game. I know it's disappointing for, I guess, the bullpen's performance today, but. Uh, overall, I'm not like mad or anything like that. So I think I'm pretty much closer to Mark saying like I'm not disappointed with how the pitching has gone or anything like that. But you know, there's still a couple of takeaways from this series, and um, you touch on it a bit, Jacob. But I mean, like Ross Stripling, his first start uh, since replacing Hunjin Ryu, he comes out has five good innings. Uh, that was really good. And then I think the original plan, I believe it was re- revealed after the game is he was expecting to go four innings. And then, of course, because of the efficiency and, of course, just because he's not stretched out, that's the reason why. And then he was able to get one more inning out of them. And then he had things off, which did really good. And um, it was a shutout way for the rest of the way, of course. And a shout-out to Matt Gage, who makes his who made sorry his MLB debut uh, in this series. I mean, I'm sure you guys heard about his track record and pretty much just the, the story and the journey that he had to the major leagues. So it's always a nice feel-good moment for that to happen. And then that pretty much happened. And then in the second game, despite Alec Manoa not being sharp, he managed to get six innings. And you guys probably saw that funny interview after asking, where does that extra gear come from? And then he was saying it comes from the transmission. I mean, he wasn't that sharp, only four strikeouts, but he managed to get through six innings without allowing a run, despite allowing a lot of traffic on the bases. You hand things off to the bullpen again. It looked it it looked well or it was well the entire way. And then Jordan Romano, somebody who hasn't pitched in a few days, comes in and gets some work done. And then today... Again, well-rested. Everything was well-rested because the bullpen actually def- wasn't overworked this series, which is also why it managed to be okay today despite you know the result. Uh, that happens. The, the struggles of Trevor Richards continues. Uh, I think he allowed three earned runs today and just over an innings pitched. And then, of course, a couple of runs throughout the later part of the game. But the main highlight from this and obviously the cause from this was Yusei Kikuchi. And it's just it's frustrating because it's like Jose Brios in terms of consistency – both of them have been inconsistent. Of course, two different pitches, but all I'm saying is that's been the issue with Yusei Kikuchi just as much as it's been with Jose Brios. You feel like Yusei Kikuchi turns a corner when he makes these adjustments, and then there's kinds of there's starts here where he kind of goes backwards, and then he did the same thing his previous start where he didn't exactly pitch that good against the Twins. So th- those are a couple things that happened with the starting rotation, um, or sorry, with Yusei Kikuchi, and it translates to today. And just especially because of the May that Kikuchi is coming off of, I mean, he had a pretty good May, um, which is also why this is kind of frustrating. I think he had a 2.36 ERA through May, and of course that came with a 1.05 whip. So you felt like he really figured things out and he comes in today saying, um, or he comes into today just struggling. So that's pretty much what happened with him. And uh, now you look at it, they got to go back to the drawing board, it feels like, because that's two straight starts where he's been, un- or he hasn't been sharp. The bullpen continues to, you know, lack that swing and miss guy. So it's just being all, I guess, tested at the moment. And, um, you know, just pitching performance, still a successful pitching series for this team. Again, you shut out the Royals twice, which is good. And then today you allow uh, eight runs, which definitely wasn't good. So I'm not overall concerned at all. And we'll see what happens, I guess, uh, throughout the next week or the this upcoming week in Detroit.
Yeah, and to me, that kind of volatility that you mentioned, the fact that we haven't got consistent performances from Yusei Kikuchi the last two, three times out, that's okay because he's a fourth starter. <laughs> like, if this is Alec Manoa or Kevin Gosman we're talking about, yeah, you're the ace of a rotation. You should be going out there and dominating and shoving every single day. But it's Yusei Kikuchi. Yusei Kikuchi is not an ace. He's a fourth starter. The Blue Jays brought him in to do exactly that. And to me, you're going to have these outings. Even aces have these outings. You look at last year, you know, Ross Stripling, the two-out start in Buffalo against the Red Sox. Even earlier this year, opening day, Jose Barrios against the Texas Rangers. I mean, just terrible starts from pitchers who are normally otherwise pretty good. So it's going to happen. It's going to happen. He's a fourth starter. It's okay. Um, the thing that I would say is that, yeah, you talk about Yusei Kikuchi's dominance before today and before his last inning against the Twins. He's been really good for the Blue Jays in the month of May. He put up a stretch of five consecutive starts where he'd given up two earned runs or less, most of those starts getting into the sixth inning. For a fourth starter, to have a month like that and to put up two bad starts... All you can do is shrug your shoulders and move on and hope that he gets better and assume that he will and assume he'll have a couple other good starts and assume he'll have a couple other bad starts. That's just the nature of baseball with a fourth starter. And, he, you know, it's the Steven Matz guy. It's the guy who we saw last season go out and have stretches where he was putting up Cy Younger, Young numbers. Started the season for Steven Matz last year. Absolutely phenomenal. And then he tails off in the middle months and... That's the type of performance we're going to get from Yusei Kikuchi. And to me, what we saw today was par for the course. Frustrating to watch in the moment, but that is quite all right. And one thing I do want to quickly mention is Yusei Kikuchi wasn't even getting hit hard. His command was just not there. So, like, you can work on that. You can go do bullpen side sessions. Because obviously, now I'm assuming six days to work on it because of the off day or however many days. I don't know. Actually, yeah, I think there's this off day and then there's like 37 games and 38 days. But he has time to work on this. Like you can teach command to a major league pitcher. He obviously has command. He did have two strikeouts. So he, and he d did get two outs. So he is able to get batters out. It just was not there consistently with the four walks and the bloop singles. It was funny. I think somebody on the broadcast said this wasn't even a baseball game. It was just a bloop single competition and Royals unfortunately won that one. But the uh, point is, is I'm not like, yeah, I said I was concerned with the whole pitching staff, but if I'm talking about Yusei Kikuchi specifically, I think he'll rebound. Like, there's, this I think is just a blip. It's not like it's indicative of how the rest of his year is going to go. I was just going to say, speaking of the walks, like, he hasn't been giving up an absurd amount of walks the last few games. Like, you look at his June 3rd start, zero walks, May 28th, one, and then he had a run of three consecutive starts where he gave up three walks each, but, like, even that is not something to harp on for a fourth starter. Yeah, not not at all. And it's just something that, you know, I, I think you, you pretty much said it best. You shrug your shoulders and you hope that this is turned around quick. You have to imagine that there's going to be lots of work done after today. And then um, you try and move forward with it. The The other thing is, you know, I just want to, I guess, shift it back towards Ross Tripling. Because as a rotation as a whole, if this, I guess, you know, you're not expecting Kikuchi to pitch you know, it just as an ace every start, but you're also expecting him to do a lot better than what he did today, obviously. But I think with Ross Stripling pitching a lot or as well as he has, definitely, you know, just puts the rotation in a better spot. I mean, I think, Jacob, you were the one that said it. A lot of people have said it. Even at the time, you'd rather Ross Stripling start over a guy like Hunjin Ryu. Um, and then he's kind of been coming in and he's been pitching well, I think, pretty much since his disastrous April last April 
uh, or last year, ever since May when he kind of figured things out and he kind of turned the corner. His ERA in those 19 games since last May to now in June have been 3.61, and that's very acceptable for a guy near the back end of the rotation. So he, you hope that he provides some stability while the bullpen is going to get some possible internal reinforcements and external reinforcements. The other question now that becomes, and then this also ties into Hunjin Ryu, due to the significance, we don't know how long, but it's not looking like it's going to be a short-term thing. Does this also now put a starting pitcher on the radar in terms of a potential trade candidate or something that the Jays pursue uh, at the end of July? I mean, I don't know. Again, it's hard to say because we don't know the exact time frame. but if you figure that out, you get a timeline on Ryu, Somebody like Ross Stripling gets more important. Yusei Kikuchi is a guy that's going to hopefully pitch better or more times better than he does worse. You got to clean that up. So that's why I think that despite these things happening on the side, the rotation still is, I think it's fine outside of your three guys with Manoa, Gosman, and Barrios. Kikuchi's got to clean things up. The adjustments will continue. Ross Stripling has been proven to be serviceable and to give you a good, good quality innings as a starter, of course, and he's obviously done both, but as a starter, he's definitely pitched well when given the opportunity. So I'm comfortable with him starting for the time being. And I'm also, you know, confident, but I would say I'm comfortable with the fact that they're going to try and figure this thing out with Kikuchi because he showed signs based off the good May he had. That's two starts in June now where it hasn't been exactly great. I still think there's a lot of room for him to improve and he's going to be a lot better than what he's been showing through these past two starts in June. Um, you asked a question of what the Ryu injury means if they're now in the market for a starting pitcher. Um, I think yes, but it depends on two variables. And the variables are, A, what we find out from Ryu and his injury status. Because we still, as it stands now, don't actually know all that much. Um, he may be out for a long time. That's what it's sounding like. And He's going to get a second opinion, which is never a good sign, but we still don't know totally the severity of what he's dealing with and how long he's going to be on the IL. So I think that's the first variable. And then the second variable is Nate Pearson because he's been in AAA rehabbing and working his way back seemingly forever. And I assume it's only a matter of time before he makes it up to the majors. And if he is major league ready or close to major league ready and the Blue Jays like what they're seeing out of him, I have to imagine that he is the next man up and he's going to be taking a spot in the rotation, not a guy that they go out and acquire on the trade deadline. You never know. And I think it depends on the severity of the injury and what they think they have in Nate Pearson and if they think he can take a full-time starting job right now. But to me, those are the the two variables that determine whether they are in the market for someone. And like, yeah, they'll be keeping their ears open. They'll be listening to offers. But whether they're actually actively pursuing that or not, I think it depends on those two variables. Yeah, I think it'll be a very interesting next 48 hours in Blue Jay land because I think the doctor that Ryu is going to see is the same doctor that's seen him in the past back when he was with the Dodgers. So the interesting thing is he'll have previous imaging of his elbow, of his arm, have those comparisons available which is a good thing well good thing for you know diagnosing it's a bad thing if you notice that 2022 Ryu is very different from 2018-19 Ryu but it's it's not looking good for him unfortunately and I think everybody on the broadcast has pretty much stated that it's not like he threw a pitch and his arm just didn't feel good this has 
been a, a buildup of, of a wear and tear on his arm. Unfortunately, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to speculate at all, but usually when it's an elbow, when it's a UCL type of issue, that's what it is. It's, it's just a wear down of that elbow. And I think I mentioned this when we talked about Tim Mesa returning, how it's not, you throw the ball and now you're just injured. It's a buildup and it, you know, things wear down and there maybe there is that one snap but it's it's the the snap of a long journey or, or behind a long journey and you hope that that's not the case because if that is that essentially you know puts his tenure with the blue jays to bed because that's you know at least an 18 month or 12 to 18 month recovery period from the date that he actually has the procedure but i don't want to talk about tommy john surgery and speculate yet because we don't know that we he could come back from that second opinion and here you know x amount of months and then he's back but it that I think is the biggest thing is what Ryu's health is is like let's be real here it's not even just a, a factor for this season but it's also potentially a factor for next season and for Ryu it's a factor for potentially the rest of his career because he is aging he's older he's a free agent after next season last thing you want to see is somebody's career end because of things like this but before any of that happens let's get that second opinion I think we're going to hear either tomorrow night which is Thursday or Friday morning Let's hope that it's, you know, let's hope that it's at least favorable-ish to some extent that it's not detrimental to him and, and his tenure with the Blue Jays. But as for Nate Pearson, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but maybe we leave Ross Stripling in the bull, excuse me, leave, leave Ross Stripling in the rotation, put Nate Pearson in the bullpen as a long man, you know, maybe he's that dip, complimented Trevor Richards, different version of him. He can kind of throw, you know, two, three innings if you need, kind of like what Trent Thornton did today or him and Richards did. You get that. And if he's able to handle that, you throw him in that rotation because I don't see that necessarily as an issue. I think we did see it. All of these are very different scenarios. We saw that with Marco Estrada back in, when was that, 2015? Like, that was a, this was a while, while back. But he was in the, the bullpen for a while, was eventually brought back into the rotation, and maybe that's all he needs. Maybe it's something where he just comes back, gets Major League... Uh, just time because he's really other than 20 uh, 2020 really where he made a few starts he has barely made any appearances just get him that workload get him that time to get things going and then you put him in the rotation if if need be like if Ross Stripling is good I don't see a reason to demote him and I say demotion because you're not gonna say you're doing well in the in the rotation but we need to change you and, and put somebody else just because that's a top prospect I don't think that's fair to Stripling but those are the two things that I'm looking at is well, three things. One, reuse health. Two, how is Ross Stripling doing in this rotation? How is he handling that job and the workload? And really, how are his numbers looking? But three, how is Nate Pearson going to look when he comes up and just gets major league experience, gets those outs under his belt? Is he able to handle, I'm sure he can handle an inning, but is he able to handle two or three, even four innings as a starter? And, and you know, with that command, I saw. I think that was a big issue for him. And, you know, for a guy that throws hard, the hard hit contact was... Definitely there last season, even out of the bullpen, there were a few balls that were just smoked off of him late in the season. So th those are the things we kind of need to worry about and, and pay attention to. But as for external resources and reinforcements, I'm like you said, Mark, it'll, it'll probably be a topic of, of conversation. I'm sure anybody would be looking for a good starting pitcher, especially when you already do have three good starting pitchers. I just... If this was last year, I would have said, absolutely, you go get a pitcher, and they did. They got Jose Barrios and locked him up for seven more seasons. I don't really think that that's going to happen this year just because you do have 
those three guys, Brios, Manoa, and Gosman, locked up for the next, after this season, at least the next four, because of, uh, I think Manoa has five more, uh, Gosman, what is it, four more, something like that. So, like, they have, a, you know, the, the big three in the rotation that they need. A big four would absolutely be better, but I, at this point, given what the internal options are, I highly doubt that we see really any type of rotation bolstering from external teams, even if, God forbid, Hyunjin Ryu's tenure is over with the Blue Jays. Yeah, it, it all depends, but I definitely wouldn't rule it out, I, and we're gonna we're pretty much going to see what happens. And that goes back to the question I asked you, Jacob, uh, last week uh, about the Ryu injury and then saying, like, do you think Pearson eventually potentially shifts into the the rotation after, you know, he comes up? I, I don't think what you mentioned was crazy at all. Like, I think that's a legitimate situation or scenario where he starts as a long man and then they kind of monitor stripling and they at any point can definitely make the switch both have done both before it's not an issue for Ross stripling either so while you have that all happening I think you know if you want to look at the offense definitely feel good that the offense is now clicking and you can kind of you know deal with this as well but knowing that the offense is playing really well I mean you were going over it beforehand Mark pretty much leading every category since the month of June or pretty much over the past couple of weeks since May 24th the Blue Jays have averaged 7.08 runs per game that's insane you have you know Bo Bichette leading the way or playing well Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is hitting home runs again you got Santiago Espinal Alejandro Kirk you know getting a lot of love for all-star ballots and just kind of unpredictable seasons for them dominating you got Matt Chapman you got uh, heating up, you got Teoscar Hernandez hitting 375 over his last six or, or I think almost nine games. So you have a lot of this, you know, a lot of things turning the corner with the offense. We're all sold on the offense being back. I think a lot of us are. At least that's clicking while there's some stuff that, or I guess some question marks in the rotation or case in point with Hunjin Ryu. And of course, outside your big three, you always kind of wonder external options, Nate Pearson. There's a lot of factors going on as well. And uh, it's all going to be answered probably within the next few weeks as well. And for sure, Ryu within the next couple of days as we await the significance or the severity of his injuries dealing with. Yeah, you mentioned some of the positives. And I don't want this podcast to be totally negative because we did mention at the start that overall right now, the position that the Blue Jays are in and the series they had was pretty darn good. So you mentioned the averaging 7.0708 runs per game over their last whatever it is, two weeks since May 24th. They lead Major League Baseball in runs per game, home runs, on-base percentage, OPS, WRC+, and even the WRC+, entering today. So before the series finale against the Royals, they had a WRC+, plus of 167. And that is so far and ahead of every other team in Major League Baseball. The next closest, I think, is 130 or 135 or somewhere around there. The Blue Jays' offense over the last two weeks since May 24 has been the best in the majors, and it's not even close. So all this negative stuff we're talking about, the doom and gloom of Hinjin Ryu's injury and Yusei Kikuchi and all that stuff, it is secondary to, of course, the Blue Jays' offense doing well. And um, the other doom and gloom from this week is Danny Jansen. He was hit with a pitch in his hand. He ended up suffering a fractured pinky the Blue Jays place him on the 10 day injury list and recall um, Zach Collins Ross Adkins said that this fracture was on the lighter side not as serious as it could have been and called it a stable break which means the recovery is expected to be a lot shorter than it would have been if it was a worse break 
Still, this is bad news for Danny Jansen. Of course, he suffered injuries earlier in this season. He had just gotten back to being healthy and being back in the lineup and had, to be fair, even with those injuries, one of the better starts for catchers in Blue Jays history. He had a ton of home runs. I think he, if I can remember the stat correctly, he was tied for the record in franchise history for home runs for a catcher through the first two months of the season. And now that I'm saying that out loud, it sounds really specific, but I think that's what it was. Um, He had an awesome start to the season, so it sucked for him personally to see him go down again. And, you know, of course, being hit in the hands, you never know the severity of those injuries. And it's always scary to watch it because it could be, you know, ending his season or at least taking a couple months to get better. But thankfully, it's somewhat stable or so we're told. The other side of things is that the Blue Jays, and this obviously hurts the team as a whole, because as good as Alejandro Kirk is, he's not going to be playing every day. You're going to be having to rely on someone like Zach Collins, someone like Tyler Heineman, and it's unfortunate that the Blue Jays are having to rely on that talent. Today, it didn't matter. Zach Collins had a good game for the Blue Jays, but overall, it's going to hurt the Blue Jays in the long run, and then of course, I should also mention the defensive side of things, because Danny Jansen, we know is an incredible defensive catcher, and the same cannot be said for Zach Collins. So a couple different moving parts in this. Sucks to see Danny Jansen go down with that, and you just hope that it is, in fact, a stable break and he can be back in two weeks' time. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I was kind of surprised he did not come out of the game if that really was the case, although I'm sure it, as the time went on, it, it definitely hurt a lot more. And I think we saw that with a pitcher today whose name is escaping me where he I think twisted his ankle. I'm not obviously Vasquez. I'm not a pitch Vasquez, yeah. So I had that happen the day of. You're you know, it is what it is. But the morning after is obviously I'm not a major leaguer, so I'm not you know a pro athlete. Really? But <laughs> <You don't say. laughs> my point is is it hurts ten times worse, like twelve, twenty four hours after the actual injury. So I'm sure that's probably what it was. And I think it might have been a rash Danny, but somebody mentioned thirty minutes before yesterday's game, the second game of the series, that Danny Jansen was walking around the clubhouse and his hand was just completely flat. Like he could not even move it. So let's hope that it's, it's at least, or or at, at most maybe a month, you know, three, four weeks uh, of recovery. I I think they said two ish weeks of, of just like no action. And then he gets back into things probably realistic. Uh, The unfortunate part is, yeah, now you, you have an offense first catcher who really cannot play defense four five six times a week and wait wait you're saying wait sorry you're saying he can't play defense every day well i don't think the blue jays will put kirk behind the plate every day okay that's yeah, what yeah. i mean sorry yeah. i thought you were saying that he couldn't play defense period and i was like no, okay, no, no, no that's a little bit harsh he can he do it good defensively yeah. <laughs> he can do it i just highly doubt that they give him more than four games a week or at, yeah if they yeah. do the most they give him is five games and you know one of those will probably be a dh if not more of those but that'll be that does hurt the blue jays i think because you know what happened today vladimir guerrero jr was dhing so i think it was biggio playing first that takes a spot out of lineup for alejandro kirk you're you know you want to obviously play zach collins and it worked out for him like you said he had a good day but when you now have that situation where the dh is not as flexible that position it's it will hurt the team a little bit. We're going to see, I think, more guys rotating in and out of the lineup. At least it doesn't hurt them like last season where Springer was like DH or nothing. Like you can still put Kirk behind the plate and you still have guys that can play in and outside of, you know, really any position. 
it it's not ideal, but I think basically what I'm saying is it's not ideal, but I think the Blue Jays can manage. It's just going to take a little bit of, of getting through. Like, it's kind of like the Teoscar Hernandez injury where they can deal with it, but you obviously don't want this to happen. And now the other part of it, they have quite a good catching prospect who a lot of people were wondering, why is he not up? To me, it seems as if Ross Atkins was kind of just dodging that question and who knows why maybe they just don't think that he's ready yet I think the biggest thing is he needs to learn the pitchers learn you know, all these different aspects of catching at the, at the big league level and also let's not forget he did come to spring training later than usual so it's not as if it's not as if you're throwing like a third baseman in who just needs to learn how to field the ball or know how to field the ball at at, at a bigger stadium this is somebody that needs to now go and learn the the pitching staff who I'm sure he did meet with a little bit but now those those are guys that you do need to learn and need to work with I don't know I think that I, I wouldn't say I'm surprised that Gabriel Moreno is not up with the team yet knowing that there now is a catching opening I just to me it's just it's interesting that he's not up is the best way to put it and we're obviously not within the team we don't know everything I trust Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro it just it's something that a lot of people are asking I think it'll be interesting to see when he eventually does come up and what are those scenarios like does it take a long-term injury or does it take a trade to one of your core catchers to have that happen I'm not entirely sure but it's you know for the time being it's a little uh it's not puzzling but it's interesting that he's not up here yeah I'm not surprised at all like I wouldn't um as much as it comes to all of our head and all of that, I do think it's time to restart the uh, the sorry the Alec Manoa watch the Gabriel <laughs> Moreno watch. I'm so used to that from last year. I think it's time to restart the Moreno watch. It's just you feel like we are at this point we are getting closer and closer. But in terms of Danny Jansen it, himself beforehand, it's just yeah like the, as much as Alejandro Kirk's been leading you know the American League and categories pretty much all across the board, and of course he's a candidate now for the All Star game. That's pretty much gotten a lot of steam. Danny Jansen was still, I wouldn't say quietly, but he was still on the side of Kirk playing really well offensively, pretty much playing the best he's ever been playing at uh, at the major league level. And we've touched on that so many times this year. These are two, I guess, unlucky injuries uh, at the worst time possible for him that he now has to suffer. And it's just his luck is absolutely ridiculous but when he did get hit with that pitch uh on the first night of the series it didn't look exactly great like you saw the you just heard the impact you saw anytime you see you know a ball hit someone's hand wrist or anything like that fingers you just it looks painful it's it sounds painful the players just are in completely discomfort and then of course you immediately know that there's going to be x-rays and you kind of pray that it's going to be negative and it's just going to be a day-to-day thing and of course that was not the case with him as he's got a broken bone in his left pinky finger around there so uh, that's pretty much what they were saying in terms of that the significance it seems like it's going to be shorter than maybe what he missed when he had his oblique injury or at least it won't be longer than that at all so that's good and the it's pretty much I guess right now as much as you don't have a or like a a nail on date of when he's coming back it maybe you look at it as a short-term uh thing that you're dealing with that's always tricky when you're making a call up and for Gabriel Moreno like if you make that move it just you don't know um it just you it's it's a little bit of a risk that's all I'm saying is that it's a short-term thing but I still think 
there's a chance it happens. I, I think it's definitely getting closer and closer. Like Gabriel Moreno uh, is hitting the ball really well in AAA. I think he had a little bit of a slower start to the year in general, but definitely over the uh, the last I guess month he's really heated up, hitting 323 uh, with an on base percentage of 377, a slugging percentage of 406. So he's heating up. He's only got one home run this year, however, but he's just seeing the ball really well or getting pretty much a lot better in AAA Buffalo. Uh, he's playing really well defensively from what. Uh, we've been hearing so it feels like he is knocking on at the door and then it just felt like as well we pretty much brought this up last episode or at least I did saying with Jansen and Kirk both playing well um, you just felt like this didn't have to be a rush decision for them and then of course it also kind of went further in a conversation that you brought up Mark in terms of the whole Alejandro Kirk topic there was a good discussion on that you know when one guy goes down like that it suddenly kind of it pretty much changes but Again, we are expecting the Jansen absence to be short-term, so I don't know if you see Moreno come up. It's definitely an option. Uh, I wasn't surprised at all that it was Zach Collins that got recalled. He was hitting the ball, or he wasn't exactly hitting the ball the greatest with Buffalo, but he had a couple of home runs when he was down there for about maybe 10 games, 12 games. So that's where you sit with that. It's just, I really, like, it just, with Alec Manoa last year, I think we felt like it was inevitable and it just it was a needed move for them to make the move like just for them to call him up with Gabriel Moreno I really have no sense of when it's exactly going to happen um in terms of calling him up just because again with the catching situation the depth is one of the best in baseball for catching and that's outside of Moreno with Jansen and Kirk you just you don't really have a clear idea of what the plan is because of course he's playing well if it's a short-term thing do you take that risk and bring him up what happens if he plays really well and then Jansen comes back or what happens when, or what happens if he struggles in those short amount of games he gets in probably it's just, there's a whole lot of if fans or buts. And then I think that's why it's kind of, it's just, it's hard to say, but again, he's very close to being called up. And if it does happen, I would not be surprised. I'll tell you what happens if he gets called up, he's playing well. And then Danny Jansen returns. Someone's getting traded. And I know we talked about this last week or last episode, and I don't want to go again. Dig up. I don't want to dig up fresh wounds because everyone seems to be pissed at all three of us <laughs> for what we said. But someone's going to get traded, and that's the to I like if the Blue Jays have not called up Gabriel Marino at this point when he is in AAA, and you brought up the numbers three twenty three, three thirty seven, three seventy seven, four oh six slash line like. When you're doing that well in AAA, there's no reason for a team to not call you up except for the fact that the Blue Jays have no room for him in the majors. And that, to me, is the only reason that I can come up with. And like there, there's a trade at some point. A trade is incoming. It's inevitable. It's going to happen because the Blue Jays have too much talent at catcher. And I understand the rationale of not calling up Gabriel Marino now because, like you say, it puts the Blue Jays in a really bad situation. For one... It starts a service time clock in Gabriel Marino when it seems like they aren't totally confident that they want to start it yet. Two, it puts them in a crappy situation two weeks from now when Danny Jansen comes back and they have three guys who are really, really good and they have to offload one of them really, really quickly. It puts them in a terrible situation if that happens. So you don't want to call him up now, but the only way this situation gets solved is if you trade someone. So... I know we got a whole ton of crap last episode for even suggesting the fact that Alejandro Kirk might be traded, but to me, 
The stock is high with him. The stock is high with Gabo Marino. The only way this problem is solved is if one of these guys gets traded. That's all I got to say. To the people that completely just shut us down, I think you need to watch the whole episode last week. Because, (laughs) like, on the surface, trading Alejandro Kirk, trading any of the three catchers might not make a ton of sense right now, but you have... when When teams have a third catcher, it's because it's a veteran guy or maybe just you know, why not the rooms there? Like it was earlier in the season. It was like, well, we can do this. And this was also before Danny Jansen really started to show how good he was offensively this year. You're not going to have three stellar catchers. Like this was this to me. And I know this is not necessarily comparable, but that would be like having three goalies in your NHL bench or on your NHL bench. You don't need that. Like, first of all, goalies play the whole game. And second of all, you're not going to be like, oh, well, we need three goalies now. Like that just doesn't happen. You don't need three catchers if they're going to be equally good, like, yes, if you're going to have Jansen actually catch, like, at the position and Kirk DH, in an ideal world, you would do a third catch on your bench. God forbid anything happens to any of them, you know, an injury, and then you have to swap them and for that game. But it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense, is I think the best way to put it, especially if the two are good. Like, if, if Kirk or, or Jansen or any of them were struggling both defensively and offensively or even just at any of those areas then you consider it, you say, okay, well, why not? We'll give him an opportunity. We have nothing to lose, but you have something to lose if you bring him up now. And that is, you then miss out on playing time from somebody else. And you were right. I think a trade is, it's it's not likely now, but in order to fix this situation, somebody has to be on the move, if, if that makes sense. Like, you can't, this isn't, you can't add somebody. If you have two you have two spots available. You're not going to add a third spot and just be like, oh, we'll, we'll make it fit. Like, that's kind of not how it works, at least in this position. It's not like outfield where you could have five outfielders or an extra infielder. Catching is very different. You play that specific position, and I, they're not going to put Kirk or Jansen at first base. That that's I'm going to put that right out the, the window. I'm not going to see what happened with Russell Martin a couple seasons ago, but it just, as good as it would feel to see a top prospect again come up, it just doesn't really make sense right now. You do not have the room for it, and I don't think they will have the room for it until at at the earliest, the trade deadline, if something is not made by that time. It's just, yeah, like I told you, and I'll say it again because it's kind of the same thing. It just, you don't know, like you just, you could see go either way is pretty much. If he comes up, he comes up. If he stays down, you understand. For me, I'll say it again, I still would be very passive-aggressive or very cautious, I should say, with the idea of trading someone like Kirk. But I understand the point that both of you present. And then I do agree with you that the catching situation needs to be dealt with at some point. I just look at it maybe if you can try and hold off till the winter just because of how good it is. And then here's the other thing. I mean, it's an option. It's an idea. I don't know. You don't really see this a lot with top prospects, but it's a suggestion. I mean, you bring them up. And then he's up until Jansen's back and you send him back down. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's something that you guys agree with or not, but I don't think it's out of the question. It just it all depends on the plan they have for him. And if he does come up, like it, it it's tough. Like if all three of them are hitting well, or sorry, I should say him and Jansen or sorry, him and Kirk perform well and then Jansen comes back, then you're really in a tough spot. But maybe you don't have to trade anyone. Like maybe you can send him back down. You can wait, 
and I just I think you got to hold it off as much as you can because I understand all the chatter that has come around Kirk with trading him. This goes back a couple years, and we've been talking about it for a couple years, pretty much every now and then. And now it's suddenly been picking up. Well, not suddenly, but or it it has been expectedly um, since the season has started. And then Alejandro Kirk puts up the season that he has been putting up with all of his numbers, with all of his career highs. It's just, I know the depth is pretty much, there's a lot of depth catching-wise, and it's something that has to be dealt with. But it's just, somebody that is that good, and those tools that he brings, it's just, it's difficult for me to consider it. Moreno, I understand it It all depends on the market it, because of obviously he's got prospects at us still. If the Jays are going to make any sort of big splash, it's likely starting with him going the other way. So it all depends on that. But it's just you can see both sides of it on why he's up or if he does come up. And you can also see why the Jays are leaving him down there in AAA right now. And you can see why they did. I mean, this series alone, maybe that changed at some point this weekend. Who knows? I guess there's always a slim chance. But I feel like the expectation is that Zach Collins will still be on the roster throughout the weekend. I mean, I really don't know, but uh, again, it's it's just it's fifty fifty. That's all I'm saying. It's a pickle for sure. The Blue Jays are stuck in the middle of a very difficult decision, and I mean, if you take Ross Atkins at his word, Gabriel Marino was in the mix to get Paul called up um, instead of Zach Collins. Um, Ross Atkins said, "Quote: Gabriel has been awesome. He's continued to improve. He's in a really good spot, and he's very much in the mix for us." But to me, you can't call him up mid-season, then send him back down. This is the number four prospect in all of baseball we're talking about. This is not some guy down on the depth chart that the Blue Jays are calling up to fill a spot last minute. This is one of the premier catching prospects in Major League Baseball. It's Adley Rutschman, and it's Gabriel Marino. You can't be flipping a coin and saying, we'll bring you up for two weeks, we'll send you down, we'll start your service time, we'll screw with your travel schedule. You can't be saying that with the number one prospect in the system, one of the top five prospects in baseball. This is a guy you have to treat carefully, you have to treat deliberately and make your decisions planned and ahead of time. This is what we saw with Alec Manoa. It was a definitive decision. We're calling him up at the end of May and he's been there ever since. This is what we saw with Vladdy. Vladdy, when he was first called up, end of April 2019, he struggled for the first bit. He didn't have great numbers for all of 2019. The Blue Jays didn't say, yeah, we'll send you down to AAA and let you figure it out there. They made a deliberate decision. You are a Major League Baseball player now. You are ready to play in the majors. We're keeping you here. And it paid off in a couple years' time when he had his breakout season last year. So to me, you can't be calling him up on an interim basis and sending him back down. You need to call him up as a definitive decision. And for the Blue Jays, you can't wait until the offseason to solve that problem because in my mind, if you wait until the offseason to make a move, you're not calling up Gabriel Marino at all this season. And to me, that's a very bad decision because we see the numbers he's putting up in AAA. So all these things said, I really think the Blue Jays are training someone. Bottom line, for the second week in a row, I'm going to say that definitively that they're trading someone. And I'm willing to bet you, like right now, Ross Atkins has five texts and five message on messages on his voicemail system asking about Gabriel Marino, Alejandro Kirk, or Danny Jansen because teams just don't have depth at catcher. It just doesn't exist. And the Blue Jays do, and they're in an incredible position, and they should be using that right now to make a trade before the trade deadline. Um, 
Okay. So that's a Danny Jansen, Gabriel Marino conversation and the Alejandro Kirk conversation for a second consecutive episode. Um, any closing notes that you guys have, closing thoughts before we get to the series predictions for this upcoming set? One thing I do want to say, and I mentioned this earlier in the episode, the Blue Jays are about to play a lot of games in equally as many days. I know I said that they're not going to go with three catchers, but if they're playing this many games in this many days... I wouldn't be surprised if something interesting happens, whether it's catcher, position player, pitcher. They're playing a lot of games. Yes, you know, they still have a couple series against the Tigers, and I think the Orioles are after that. So, you know, some games against not necessarily great teams, but I think it's it'll be an interesting uh, month of June because obviously the trade deadline, it's what, August 1st, I think it is. So you have the rest of June, you have July to figure stuff out. I think this is going to be a very... Uh, very interesting month for both the team on the field and the team off the field. Cause like you said, I'm sure these trades they're being planned right now, if there is going to be anything. Yeah. And on top of that, I mentioned it last episode and I guess I can mention it again is that yes, the schedule is pretty much condensed. I mean, for the next month you were talking about it. Um, and then you have, of course, throughout the weekend, you have the Detroit Tigers, you had the Royals this weekend and next week, you have the Orioles. So these are all easy opponents uh, on the schedule that you should take care of. Uh, they're critical over the next couple of weeks. I understand that you guys maybe still are a little too early to look at the standings, but the the Yankees still don't lose games, and it's a little annoying. It's getting pretty annoying. I should say it is getting annoying at this point that they still win games. So you, you hope that they can make up ground over the, these next couple of weeks. And then, I mean... I don't the just going back to what Jacob said. Anything can happen. You could see a Gabriel Moreno call up. You may not see one, and then uh, we're right back to square one talking about this this next week again. <laughs> and then for people on YouTube, watch the video before you comment. It is like really recommended, highly recommended for your sake and for our sake. Before you just destroy us with I wouldn't say hate comments, but just with uh, some criticism. So that's that. It is an endless conversation, and it's probably the most interesting conversation, which is the catching positions. You can kind of, or there's many scenarios that are in play, and uh, there's definitely a lot of opinions on it as well. So we will see. I will say to everyone who's commented and given us crap about this conversation, there is a fair argument to be made, and the reason that we're having this conversation for the second time in a row on the podcast is because it's controversial and because there's lots of different opinions flying around and there's a lot of different parts to this equation. So, yeah, it's fun to talk about and a lot of different opinions are valid. So, obviously, enjoy all the discourse that's going on about this because it's a lot of fun to talk about. Um, okay, three-game set against the Detroit Tigers. It is Kevin Gosman, Jose Brios, and Ross Stripling on the mound for the Blue Jays. What are our predictions? I'm going to go get my Swiffer because I'm going to predict a sweep. I'm saying that right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, uh, Jacob, we both predicted sweep. <laughs> Didn't work out. Uh, Mark was right, two out of three, just because he said two out of three for no reason. But I'm on a roll. You are on, on a roll. roll. I, think I will give you that. two consecutive correct series predictions. Okay, so perhaps Mark will be maybe again what happens, but... I can't believe I'm doing this again. I'm going down with you on this one. A sweep. Um, the Detroit Tigers are another team who has not played well this season. 
You got to take advantage of these games. Uh, you got Jose Barrios, who's coming off a really good start. You got Kevin Gosman. Curious to see if he's fixed anything potentially with his release points or his tipping of his pitches. Get it going. Get back on track. And then, of course, on that Sunday game, you got Ross Stripling again. Five or six innings, or I should say most likely five as well as he's not completely stretched out. You'll take that. The offense is pretty much playing well. Alejandro Kirk, a catcher offense. He <laughs> continues to pitch or hit well. Maybe you see Gabriel Moreno this weekend. I don't know. If that is the case, another conversation next week. But um, a weekend to take advantage of these games, beat the Tigers, sweep them. And get on a roll before you see that Oriole team for the first time. Oh, yeah. We know the Blue Jays have to be hot in, to be able to beat the <laughs> Yeah, I'm Scalding just saying, we've seen a lot of losses Orioles. in the last few years. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be the contrarian once again and say two of three for the Blue Jays. And this time, I actually have a rationale because Detroit, as bad as they may be, 23 and 33 on the season, they are six and four in their last 10 games. And you look at the starters I mentioned on the Blue Jays side of things. On the Detroit side of things, they don't have great starters lined up for Friday or Saturday, but in Sunday's game, they have a guy named Tariq Skubal who is starting, and he has a 2.33 ERA this season, a 5-2 and record, 1.8 war already after two-plus months of the season, So, and he's going up against Ross Stripling. So I think the Blue Jays are going to lose that game on Sunday. They're going to win the first two kind of like what we saw in Kansas City. Um, All right, lots of fun this episode. And before we go, need to, of course, bring up listener thoughts. Only a few for today. We have one from James uh, Hannay, who says, is Yusei Kikuchi ever going to be a reliable starter? We kind of talked about that earlier this episode. He's a fourth starter in the rotation. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? A little bit of an inconsistent performance from him. James also says, should have been a sweep. And, uh, yeah, you get what you can get with the Blue Jays. Um, and then Talks Ready, again, criticizing us for what's going on on YouTube. But he says, interesting series. YouTube curse got us, though. And that's because of what we named the previous episodes. So, it happens. It's going to happen. Um, but, as always, we will leave it there. You can support our podcast by finding us on social media, at Section138Pod. That's on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, you can also give us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts, and you can check us out on YouTube as well. All right, three games against the Detroit Tigers after an off day. We'll catch you next time.